0: When you, when you think about how you just take tea leaves I mean you dump them in hot water I mean you just there's no way to get out of it, right? Mm. And what what is in you now extends to you know to the environment you're in, right?
1: I love that illustration. When That's we're great.
0: steeped in the gospel like yeah. it is literally like every part of the gospel permeates us, but it invites us back in to reinvest. Welcome friends. You are listening to Blue Collar Money, Theories of Middle Class Investing with your hosts, P.W. Gopal and Mike Hatch.
1: Welcome to Blue Collar Money, theories of middle-class investing, where we help everyday folks get financially unstuck by taking a blue-collar approach, rolling up our sleeves, getting our hands dirty, and accepting responsibility for our own financial future. My name is Mike Hatch, and I'm here as usual with PW Gopal. And man, we are so excited that you are along for the ride. Thank you for listening in. and, uh, And thank you to our listeners too, who've Again, we keep getting more and more interaction with some of you, whether it be on LinkedIn or Facebook or just email. You know, we've given you our email, so feel free to email us. We're grateful for that interaction, and uh, we're grateful to be with you again today. and uh, And so today, we're going to actually revisit a topic that we talked about early on in in the beginning episodes when we started the podcast uh, regarding narratives and and how to understand the narratives going on um, in our country, in our world, in our culture. And we're going to actually, we're going to refer to a specific article uh, that was written about millennials. And I'm excited to dig into that just a little bit to kind of give some framework and a jumping off point to understand how to, uh, how to understand what the narratives are. And, uh, and PW and I, you and I are going to talk more about that, but, uh, but before we jump into that, um, just another quick reminder that, you know, PW and I are excited about the fact that we're starting our first mastermind and, uh, and we've already, gosh, we've got a few people who've already emailed back and, and signed up for it. And so thank you. We're really excited to, to do this with you and, uh, and to walk alongside of you. And so PW, if you wouldn't mind just for folks who, cause we've had questions, sure. right? Yeah. What is a mastermind? <laughs>
0: well, I'm, I. I guess the simple part of it, it it's a way to kind of piece together um, a narrative that will solve a problem. Mm-hmm. And if you know, and and the goal is to is to pull from different minds and have have some have some things to chew on in the process. So Mike and I will be the guys that will bring the information. We'll break out into groups where we can kind of you know work through some of that information and figure out how it applies to us specifically, you know, cause it'll be different for each person. Each person is going to bring in their own, own narrative, and own problem to solve. Um, yep. then we'll come back together and people will share kind of what they've learned. And it's in that process that people are dealing with their own issues, their own problems and finding solutions, mm. um, that, that it actually, when people solve their problems in front of you, it helps you navigate your own. Yeah. Um, you know, and, you know, and if there's any holes when we're done, like there's plenty of resources that I feel like we can bring to the table and people especially to help with that. And so uh, it's the beginning of that process of, of really getting folks unstuck and getting our hands dirty with each other. And it's also the beginning of the process of us kind of having a more tight knit community for those who would want it. Yeah. Um, the folks that go through the masterminds will stay in community I think I'm guessing through like a private Facebook group that we're going to put together and yep. we'll be able to bounce ideas off each other and throw ideas out. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know, solve each other's problems. I mean, we'll yeah, kind of yeah. get to see what that's going to look like.
1: Yeah. Really. I, th- I think our ultimate goal is that wherever you are, because this is the mastermind is called in uh, investing for kingdom impact. And so what does that look like for you, wherever you are specifically, and we have a, you know, these five points that we're going to cover as well as to provide that framework, framework for us to, to think about that. But our main goal really is, is to, to make your next steps, whatever that looks like, to invest for Kingdom Impact as clear as possible. Hmm. You know, so, so like number one and PW help me with this if I forget, but number one, we're talking about, uh, these are kind of the five points that we're going to be offering as the framework. And we'll dig in deeper and find out what these things look like in each of your own lives, as you just mentioned, but on, you know, uh, completing the biblical narrative, number one, uh, number two, getting your house in order. Number three, investing in or planting in your field. What does that look like? Or investing Uh, in in your field, and we'll define that. And then investing in others' fields or planting in others' fields. What does that look like? And then lastly, uh, celebrating God, right? I think I got him. I think that's the five, got it. That's it. That's it. (laughs) Excellent. So we'll use that as a framework, of course, and distill that down again as we get to interact with you personally so that you will know as you come out of that very specifically for your situation, what could be some next steps for you. So, yeah, so that's our, that's the blue collar mastermind. Please email me at mikehatch at the blue collar Again, that's Mike hatch at the blue collar And, uh, we will reply back to you once we get, uh, the registration set up a link. We'll send that link to you and everything. And man, we're excited to uh, to do that. This is something that you and I PW have talked about for a long time to finally get
0: that opportunity. Finally get to do it. So that's, that's going right. to start uh, Wednesday, July twenty first, and it'll be at the noon hour Eastern time. It'll and it'll be right at an hour. We we might go five minutes over. Yeah. Um, but that'll run for five weeks. Yeah. I think it'll run to August eighteenth or or somewhere in that week.
1: Yeah, that's right. Actually, I think it's August 18 as well. So five weeks uh, every Wednesday during the noon hour. So during your lunch, for most people on the eastern coast, it's during your lunch hour. For those in the Midwest, it's a little earlier. And if you if you miss if you if you have schedule conflicts, we
0: will have the sessions recorded. Uh, The breakout sessions will not be recorded, but our actual time together in the main room will be recorded. So you'll be able to kind of you know, listen and mm-hmm. glean from that. And, and then we're accessible obviously to the, to the folks that are a part of it. Um, it's 1099 bucks for the beta, which is, this is our first one. So it's the beta and we'll use the feedback to refine it and mm-hmm. the, the next round. And from then on, it'll be uh 497 mm-hmm. um, per person for the mastermind.
1: Yep. Great. All right. So let's jump into this next uh, part here, PW, where we're talking about narratives and of course, there is there's one major narrative that you and I, as Christ followers, as Christians, that we we espouse to, if you will. And uh, and that is the narrative of the kingdom of God. Yeah. And what what is that exactly? Is well, let's first start with uh Romans chapter 12 was the passage that I was thinking of, verse two, to uh to kind of springboard us into this topic. It says, and this is, some of you who are Christians or have gone to church for a while, this might uh, sound familiar. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Some It says, you know, do not be conformed to this age or to this world is, is another way of saying it, this, the kingdom of this world. Here, here is kind of the idea that, look, there's two competing narratives ultimately that we live in tension with the first is the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of the world basically the narrative is God is untrustworthy he's not good in fact he's evil and you need to make provision for yourself in order to uh to to gain self-sufficiency instead of trusting in, in God the, the narrative of the Kingdom of God would say, no, God is good and should be trusted, and has proven His trustworthiness by Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and and redeeming us into a new relationship with him. And so those are kind of those competing narratives. So the idea is do we trust God? Do we not? And this is the this is the narrative that is we woven throughout all of all of scriptural, all of redemptive history. You see it over and over and over again. And I'm grateful that it's, (laughs) this is the beautiful thing about the gospel is that God has already done everything on our behalf to, to reconcile us and make us whole. And uh, and we just have to trust him in that. Um, But that's kind of the problem. And I think of, I go back to Genesis chapter 11, where is it's the, uh, the city of Babel and they were building a tower to reach to the heavens and Uh, basically what this the idea there was god had originally commanded them to go multiply to fill the earth to subdue it to be fruitful to to spread out to decentralize but instead again they said no wait and you you kind of have to read between the, the lines a little bit but the the way they the verbiage of it is in genesis 11 what they're saying is God has told us to do that, but we he's untrustworthy. We really can't trust him. So let's band together. Let's consolidate our resources, consolidate our efforts, our energy, because otherwise we might be spread out. And, and the word they use is almost like uh, being shattered, being broken into pieces. We, God may just shatter us and break us into pieces, and we won't be able to survive, basically, because God isn't good. That's the idea. And so we see this in various ways today as well, where we try as a culture, especially a very individualistic uh, American culture, to be um, to be self-sufficient and uh, or in some ways to band together, to consolidate out of a distrust of God. So, yeah, so those are the two competing narratives. Basically, it comes down to trusting God's character. He's good or I don't know. He might be really bad, actually, and going to have to, do something because I don't trust him. Yeah. And
0: I think each narrative has its own language and, you know, our narrative of investing and in stewardship uh, that follows, you know, has to be integrated to into what we call true. Cause the, the funny thing is, as you, as you said those words um, I don't know, th- I don't know how you said it, self-determination or, or uh, self-sufficiency, self-sufficiency. Yeah. You know, which to me is, 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 akin or pretty close to self-determination, which w- we have we have admitted is part of our the goal of this podcast. Mm. So you can um, have the same goal and have completely different reasons for getting there. And it's going to take it to two different places. Well said. I mean, that's a great point. two radically different places. And so that's why, you know, that's why in the mastermind, we really want to kind of to drill down and make sure that we are, Seeing the gospel for what it is, mm-hmm. um, and not and 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 honestly, like taking out the parts we've added to it, we're all mm. guilty of it. We are all guilty of it. I am a cynical, libertarian leaning, uh, leave me alone, say <laughs> <stay> the <laughs> f off my property kind of person, yeah, unless the gospel is leading my life, mm. and then. None of that stuff really. I don't get mm. to keep any of those things. Those are the things I've set up in my life to protect myself mm. um, from different things and and to provide for myself and eliminate God in some sense. Yeah. That's
1: yes, that's you exactly I mean? it.
0: Like yeah. That's how we end up with those flags that we fly. And I think I'm better than people because I fly the one that, you know, have a bunch of red or blue on it. Mm-hmm. And but it's still sin. Yeah, you know, it's still it's still saying, "Hey, this is the this is a way that I can be safer," hmm. you know. And um, but we, man, all of us have to do it. We've got to be so honest with the narrative that we're writing and the reasons that we're writing it. And and like you said, what's it tied to? Is it tied to the kingdom of God, or is yeah. it tied to building the kingdom of this world? We would That's all right. want to say, most of us that are followers of Jesus would want to say that it's it's to to push forward the kingdom of God. But the next question is, well, well how right? I think we would struggle. yeah I think we, we would struggle. there's a lot of holes in those arguments mm-hmm. and um, yeah, that's that's one of the things we'd love to.
1: yeah and I think together I think we sabotage ourselves in trying to accomplish the purposes of the kingdom of God when we do consolidate, whether it be because you kind of I think references – even even consolidating politically in a sense. Yeah. Where, where you, yeah, in a partisan way, where you say this, this is the one answer to all the all the problems, and so we're all going to come together around that. And and unfortunately, that we 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 overlap that that political framework over our idea or view of the kingdom of God. Yeah, and and, uh, and we've gotten some
0: feedback, um, good feedback that has mm-hmm. you know questioned like why we talk about politics and not just keep it at money. Yeah. You know, and just as a reminder, like politics means of the people regarding the people. Mm-hmm. And so we have to, we have to talk about, I mean, the only reason that we're talking about money is, is not just, you know, so that we can get fat and happy. It's so that we can in, reinvest. And what are you going to reinvest in? You're going to reinvest, yes, in fields and in products, and those different types of things, but so that uh, we can affect people. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so, now, what we've said, the left and the right do the same thing. Like the the left, in my estimation, they want the government to be God or they treat the government as God is like, hey, the, the government is going to solve our problems. And we're starting to see how messed up that is becoming. Yep. Um, you know, and the right, you know, the right wants the the obviously the individual to kind of take center stage, but they're offering the same level of control in different ways yeah that's that's what just is it's kind of embarrassing like you've got to put stuff on the table you've got to put stuff on the table sacrifice it to to screw the other side and i don't i mean i i just our our hope is in in this time together that we can start to look at like hey what's really going to push the kingdom forward and it might
1: take elements from both Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's fair right definitely because i i would go back to again i mentioned this before too but when uh Samuel, I think it's well, yeah, it was Samuel. Yeah, it was Samuel. And I think first Samuel, the people of Israel come to him as the priest and and they say, hey, we want a king. And God was very clear through Samuel when he warned them what would happen if, if you want a king, you he will enslave you is is the bottom line, right? He goes through all these other things. But he says, ultimately, you will be enslaved to that king. And so now right now, I don't care if you're right or left, when you look to, to that political partisan or whatever uh, persuasion you are of as, as the ultimate answer, either way leads, leads to enslavement. Yeah. If God is not your, your primary King, if you will. And, and the, the funny thing is that I
0: think the government can be used in, it can be parts of the government can be used in moving the kingdom forward, but God has given us scripture and he's given us the Holy spirit that's and right. The manifestation of the spirit in the church is what moves the kingdom forward. Mm. In the Amen. Church. And for some reason, we've decided that like, and I'm only I'm going to pick on the right because, you know, historically, that's those have been my people is you've decided to hit your wagon to the government mm-hmm. to push that forward. Yep. You know, and thank God it's over. I, I think thank God Donald Trump is out. Um, because I just, I just have a huge problem with what happened over those four years. Um, now, am I as happy about Joe Biden being absolutely not? <laughs> like, I think we've gone from yeah. different things are being sacrificed on the table. Yeah. You yeah. know, and um, yeah, and I know I know we've got listeners that are that are Trump fans and, you know, good right. on you um as a person i think he's he's just he's horrible i think he was horrible for the for this nation i think we're going to see how horrible joe is going to be yeah. <laughs> um, yeah in different ways i think we're experiencing it right now like just hold on to your pocketbooks folks <laughs> um, right
1: and and the point is just know that we are <laughs> that we don't ascribe either way they're they're pieces of both sides and even more sides than just those two Yeah. That we sure. would say okay that's that's redeemable um, that's a good thing. That's not like, and again, that's, you got to use the, you know, the, the gospel as, as your standard yeah. of measure. I saw, I saw Mike's face just drop when I mentioned Donald
0: Trump, cause he's like, no, no, don't go there. No. Well, just so you, <laughs> just so we're clear, I can't stand, you know, uncle Joe or the big Don, uh, equally. <laughs> I think they're, you know, right. Right. Cause
1: I'm thinking of all the people who are listening, who are, uh, who i know who uh yeah, who, loved yeah trump. Who lo-
0: love donald trump and you can right. love him for whatever reason you want to love him but we uh, the point is we all have to be honest about how the kingdom is going to move forward yeah. and it doesn't matter what king you elect that's yeah. not the king that we serve and that's not the king that's going to move this kingdom forward that's
1: right um those and guys I, are pawns too a, yes amen thank you and and I and I, I I'm with you. Okay. So as much as he just said, my face dropped with Donald Trump. I, I just want to reiterate, I do also can't stand either side. Well, and can't I didn't stand. say
0: that because you favor one or the other. I yeah. Just, okay.
1: I just saw, I could. You're like, oh no, not.
0: It's too early. Don't go there now. <laughs> that's that's for private. conversations. <laughs>
1: Okay. So moving on here, uh, those of you who are, who are sick of hearing what we were just talking about, we're moving on. Okay. Um, so there was a very interesting article that came out recently that I read and actually it got a fair amount of attention on LinkedIn and it, it was called millennials are running out of time to build wealth. The oldest members of the generation turned 40 this year. They're only 80% as wealthy as their parents were at this age. So there that, that's the article. And I read through it. And, uh, and there are some things that I was like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Or there are some other things. I'm like, no, that's not the whole picture. So I just made a comment in in LinkedIn, um, when, when this article was shared and just said, hey, I don't I think the piece that's missing here is that I think millennials today define success differently than previous generations. And it's not just all about accumulating wealth. And oh my gosh, Five hundred and some likes, loves, and all that kind of stuff later, and pro- over two hundred comments later. Um, man, was there a huge response to, uh, to that, to that comment I made on both the positive and the negative side. Now, mostly positive and mostly I I think millennials were like, yeah, thank you for, for sharing that. But I think Hmm. there were others who were both millennials, Gen X, I think, and even baby boomers who really pushed against that, um, and said, no millennials are, are babies. They need to grow up. They need to quit complaining, um, et cetera. And man, it was really it just a lot of interaction. And so basically, but here, here's the, the thing we, the reason why we're bringing this article up is, is the narrative. We want to identify the narrative that is actually being um, uh, told to us through this, through this article. And it's very subtle, which is why I want to read some of the excerpts of it. So Um, So it starts out just by saying in almost every way measurable, millennials in the U.S. at 40 are doing worse financially than the generations that came before them. Okay, so there are some assumptions there. What are exactly the measurables they would use to define uh, financial success? And then it goes on to say that it says fewer millennials own homes than their parents did at their age. They have more debt, especially student debt. And then it just says they simply aren't as wealthy. Okay, so again, all right. So not owning homes is something that is equated to having wealth, basically. Of course, debt and student debt. I would agree on that part, part that I think student debt is weighing down millennials. And that's, I think, unfortunately, though, that's that's been a product of, of a system that has convinced so many young people, starting with late Gen Xers, like myself, actually, that school is the answer. And it's so much the answer that you you can go into enormous amounts of debt in order to acquire it because it's going to lead to greater uh, increases in, in wages and all that kind of stuff. But then, you know, the, the article goes on, but since entering adulthood, Millennials, uh, they've been hit with major recessions at critical stages in their financial development. They were 27 years old when Lehman Brothers went bankrupt and the Great Recession dug in when when they have been uh, establishing themselves in the workforce. The Great Recession knocked everyone for a loop, said William Gale, senior fellow in the economic studies program at the Brookings Institute. It caused unemployment, it caused slow growth, excuse me, slow wage growth, it made it harder to accumulate wealth, and now even in that statement, there is a there is an assumption and, and a and a narrative being spun there. Accumulate wealth. What exactly is meant by accumulating wealth? wealth. Um, and that's something hopefully we can touch on more as we get into uh, the seven truths of U.S. finance and some of the lessons that we've learned as we've uh, come along as well. But. Um, And this is then as millennials hit the point in their careers where people traditionally move into higher paying managerial roles, the pandemic hit. In 2020, the U.S. economy contracted three and a half percent when the oldest baby boomers turned 40. In 1986, the U.S. economy expanded at a three and a half percent rate. So what they're saying is there are some discrepancies based on where the economy is that has led to where millennials are. But... Overall, I just wanted to kind of identify where some of the narratives are here in this article that that uh, that are, again, subtle, because the, the whole article, really, there's this idea that like of accumulation of wealth, whether that be homes and equity in your home, pure capital, uh, I think primarily in the stock market. Uh, I think some would point to savings as well. And... These are kind of the the gauges that we use to measure financial success. So just something to to keep in mind that, especially if you're a millennial too, and this applies to every generation, but there are narratives being um, told to us in in a way that's all, it's, it's assumed, you know what I mean? Like everybody just kind of assumes that the accumulation phase and most of financial advisors describe it that way. Is something that just generally accepted, and we all need to jump on board with that. Now, the point that I made in my statement again was that I, I, I don't think millennials are as concerned about accumulating wealth as they are doing something purposeful and meaningful, and then allowing that hopefully to, to be, allow them to be more financially uh, successful in a sense based on. Primarily doing something that that means more and has has you know lends itself to a, a bigger uh purpose. And I did hear millennials affirm that in in the in the thread, the 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 conversation thread at LinkedIn, where they said, yeah, that's exactly right. They said we don't necessarily want to equate, you know, accumulating great amounts of wealth to being success. It's more about the impact we make in this world, basically, which I think is great, but. And I know there's positives and negatives in terms of that that mindset, but um, but just I wanted to touch on some narratives there as as we look at the seven truths of U.S. finance here in just a minute. But any any thoughts from you, PW? As I was talking through that, anything you'd like to add? Well, I I'd, I'd like for you
0: to finish the narrative of what what are we typically taught? Once you accumulate wealth, what then happens? <laughs> you become self sufficient. <laughs> What's, what does self-sufficiency, self-sufficiency yeah. look like?
1: Yeah. So traditionally, I would say over the last, uh, I don't know, less than a century, but a century or so, in America, it's been acquiring the American dream. So it means you, you work hard throughout your entire life. And as you do, you, during the quote-unquote accumulation phase, you accumulate wealth or capital or currency as it is now. Traditionally, primarily in the stock market to where you accumulate it so much that now you're able to live the rest of your life without having to work, but just to draw down bit by bit on the wealth that you've accumulated. And then you become more passive. You're purely a consumer at that point. You're no longer a producer, basically.
0: Now, and here's the thing. like When I look at that, it it doesn't seem – if I just do numbers, it doesn't seem unbiblical and it doesn't seem – doesn't seem unintelligent. If I'm, if I work for 40 years and then when my body, you know, cause at that point I'm 65 and I want to, yeah. I want to take a little bit of a break for the, for the next 20. Like to me that, that seems like if I was working with my hands, let's just say put in 40 years and, and use my wisdom to teach, right. For maybe the next 20.
1: Yeah. And that's but, actually where you hit on something real quick that, that actually is where the idea of retirement came from to begin with, because those who were in the coal mine or in the steel industry, very physically demanding jobs, would wear your body down. And at some point you couldn't continue to do it any longer and a pension or something like that, or where where you could draw on something, could help you live out the rest of your years without, you know, because it's taken such a toll on your body, but then we've taken it, we've, we've applied it to every industry, every job, et cetera.
0: Yeah. And then, so you know, context, it really does. It's, it, it seems like everything when we're, when we're talking about yeah. this, like you take that narrative and you move it into, move it into a parallel, you know, like, where are we now when people retire, what do they do?
1: Oh, well, most of the people I know, <laughs> they either buy that, uh, that summer home in Florida. And then they become here in Pittsburgh, they become, you know, uh, snowbirds, snowbirds. Yeah, they yeah. go back to Florida play golf and in, in the winter fly back up to Pittsburgh and hang out with friends here and everything. And then go back. Yeah.
0: Down. Which honestly, like I hate golf. I mean, I just, it's not, that's not an attractive thing to me, but if you just replace it with fishing. Oh yeah. You know, there so you at, go. That, at that age, I'm like, I want to hang out. I want to fish. I want to hang out with my grandkids and, and I want to teach something to somebody like that sounds amazing to me. Yeah. Um, where, where are we saying that it's going off the rails?
1: Hmm. I would say we're saying it's going off the rails when our motives to accumulating that wealth, if you will, or that capital and to achieving that, that, uh, retirement goal is, is, is the point is, is getting to that self-sufficient part where, where we no longer have to depend on anybody because we've got the wealth to be able to, to manage our lives for ourselves um and we we in some sense we don't ultimately what we're saying is we're we're not depending on god we're not trusting him instead we are we're trusting in the wealth that we've accumulated um in order to provide for us for the, for, for the yeah. rest of our lives
0: that yeah that to me that makes sense for, for the we're relying on the nest egg for the quality of our life yeah and and then i think there's a there's a kind of an ancillary component to it where um there's more of a tendency, you can't, I, I know I can't make a blanket rule because I know some people that don't do this, but there's more of a tendency to disengage with actually solving problems that that the gospel points out. Amen. When, when we're steeped in the gospel, you know, I mean, literally, like when you when you think about how you just take tea leaves I and mean, you dump them in hot water, I mean, you just, there's no way to get out of it, right? Mm. And what what is in you now extends to, you know, the environment you're in, right?
1: I love that illustration. When That's we're
0: good. steeped in the gospel, like yeah. it is literally like every part of the gospel permeates us, but it invites us back in to reinvest. Yeah. And so while I know that great things can happen on the golf course, and I'm just picking on the golf course because I just don't like it. <laughs> uh, great things happen in those three to five hours. My question is, what... If all those things are allowed, and I think they are, um, I don't think God frowns on any of that stuff. Where is the reinvestment? What does it look like? Uh, I had a conversation with a friend of mine the other day, and we were talking about a social issue, which I think it's, you know, this social issue is something that I believe is the church's job to to fix or to address. I don't think we can fix it, but I think we can address it. And and he said, well, what are you recommending? And I was like, you built, I think, an eight-figure company, if you can build that company and you can't have any ideas around this, you haven't tried hard enough.
1: That's challenging. Literally you
0: haven't tried hard enough. You can build an eight figure company and you can't figure this out. You gotta be kidding me. Like, where did you start building your company? You looked at Mm. the environment, you looked at the marketplace, you saw, okay, is there a market? Is there a problem to fix? Can I actually solve that problem? Can I then get the capital to then put the constellation in place to then solve that problem and go find the customer? I mean, can I do all these things? I realize that the social issues are the social issues because of the disengagement of the church and because and then tie that with this narrative that we can't get away from that this world has been given to the enemy and so order goes to chaos mm-hmm. so we are fighting upstream and and I believe that's true and I believe it's okay.
1: It's, and, and I was I'm sorry I was just going to say yeah, although yeah, you you're you're right uh in that Satan, as we talked about in the last episode, where Jesus says the kingdom of of God is is um is suffering violence, that, that Satan is coming against it without a doubt. But the beautiful thing about it is, and, and this is where the truth of the gospel should motivate us, is that yeah. Jesus says, Take heart, I have overcome the yeah. world.
0: Yep. Yeah. And where and so wherever God is moving and, and is, and honestly, look, wherever the local church is, wherever the believer is, the spirit of God that is in us has the opportunity to ask God to, to make the kingdom enter in. Yeah. And, you know, and when I think a lot of what happens is God breaks in and we see it and we join, you know, but I, but I do believe if you ignore it, that he could just goes elsewhere and, and the kingdom breaks in. Like we are, we are watching this degrading system happen, but there are, there are parts of it where um, when, the, when the kingdom of God breaks in and when the spirit moves, we are seeing things get Redeemed. And I don't mean like slapping duct tape on them. I mean like things become new, things become made right, they become made whole. And and people respond to that. Like my friends won't come to church, but if they saw those types of things, they I I don't think they would have much of an argument. They would want, they would be curious, they would want to engage. I think the gospel would mean something more. And so my fight on a daily basis is like, hey, how can we engage in in some of the harder things? Like Can we put our mind and our hearts to reinvestment in in these places? Um, I don't know that we're going to solve a lot of these social issues, like the things that, quote, regarding the people. Mm -hmm. But I think it's our job to engage in them because I think God is
1: there. Yeah. And one of the things, too, that with this article, the last thing I wanted to mention about the article that was that, you know, this doesn't take into consideration that I know a lot of millennials who have started their own businesses, and and a lot of the millennials I know are actually very enterprising and entrepreneurial. And who knows the even though they might be in in greater debt in some ways, what are the ways that they are they're cultivating you know a production mindset that adds value to others that's going to eventually prove to be more profitable for them? I think I think there's great potential for that that's not taken into consideration in the narrative that they're. That they're uh, they're putting here in in the, in the article so I, I
0: will say in, in fairness to and again I don't know who wrote it and
1: mm-hmm. um, yeah
0: I don't know the, even their motivation behind writing it but I will say that what you're just described is more rare that there there is a little bit of a sense my experience with millennials there's a little bit of a sense of man the wall is so high I'm just not even going to climb it because I'm just tired of bashing my head against it. That's true. I'm I'm going to concentrate on experiences. I'm going to have experiences with my group of friends. And Mm. I'm just not really going to worry about, we have, we have a 26 year old that lives with us. So I'm, Mm. I feel like I'm a little closer to watching her deal with debt, which is to not deal with debt, which is to be okay Mm. with her school loans, you know, kind of lingering with the be okay with credit card. I mean, there's all, it's funny. Like we talk about this on a daily basis. Probably she probably hates it. Um, (laughs) You know, because cause I mean I am the father figure in a life that's like, hey, how many concerts do you really need to go to this year? <laughs> at a hundred <laughs> right. bucks at a hundred bucks a pop, you know, right. like there, there are some really practical things that are not happening. And and here's what you know we know from the book The Fourth Turning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that we need that younger generation that is so creative and so relational, you know, they don't care about you know titles on doors. They want they want to solve the problem. We yeah. need them to to actually create and engage and and allow us to resource them.
1: Yes. they
0: have the energy to do it. They have the energy to solve the problem. Um and they they see things a little different because they're not, I mean, and I'm saying opposed to me, they're not as tied to um to their bank account as I am. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, like where yep. for me, like somebody gives me a scenario, I'm like, Oh, well, how much is that going to cost that? I can't tell you how many times, cause I did a mastermind for a bunch of musicians years ago that were all millennials. I can't tell you how much it drove them crazy that I focused on a lot of numbers.
1: Hmm. It yeah. made,
0: it actually made them sick to their stomach. They're like, you talk <laughs> about money and numbers all the time. And
1: that's so corporate, <laughs> It's, it's one of the, yeah. That's one of the, the taglines, obviously, that come out from the millennials. It's too corporate. I don't want to deal with that.
0: Yeah, and, I, and, and they're right. I mean, yeah. it, it, it was a huge focus for me, um, mainly because I, I felt like, I, you know, if we drew out the narrative a little farther, I knew what the obstacle was going to be coming up. And I knew that on the other side of them thinking about their finances a little bit for now, mm-hmm. there would be great freedoms for them to do what they're really meant to do. You know, which is to be with people yeah. and to create and to, you know, to invest in, in, in good things. Now, again, a lot of this stuff is just, it's, it's, it's hard and it's theoretical. You know, when the rubber meets the road, we we all have some serious battles to fight. Um, but our point in doing this episode is is to is to point out one great narrative that that has turned into a lie. It's something that doesn't work. We're not saying it started as a lie. But I'm saying that it is one now, because it can't produce what it has always said it can deliver. Mm
1: -hmm. And what what lie are you talking about exactly? Well, I was (laughs) going to make you talk about it. You're going (laughs) to (laughs) make. Okay, that's awesome. So, well, it it won't be a surprise for those of you who've been listening to the podcast for a while. You you know probably where we're going with this, and that is that um, the stock market. We would say has, has in a sense, and, and the way it operates has become the lie. Uh,
0: it's, it's an element of the great lie.
1: Okay. Oh yeah. Good call. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, that yeah. It's good delineation. Yeah. So it's, it's one of the elements and what what were the different elements again? Cause we were talking about this before PW what were the different ones that you mentioned. The stock yeah, so market? If, you, if
0: you, if you take the parts of the constellation and you put them, make them linear and you just put them on a line. One of the great lies is, Hey, Uh, work for the company where you can't control your schedule or your workflow or the output or the metrics. And when you're done with your year, your day, or whatever, whatever you have left over, you put it into a fund, a 401k, a 403b, whatever type of fund that again, you don't have any control over. You can't see that fund is a part of a larger market of, as you said, 3,000 to 3,500 companies, that are, that are all trustworthy, they're all producing value. And at some point, you know, if you trust in this element of compound interest, that, Mm -hmm. you know, if you set it and forget it for the next 40 years until your retirement, that at the end of that narrative, you will have what you need to pay for your bills and your lifestyle. And then you could, you know, do what you want with your tired body. Now, All of that makes sense if you take out the human element. Mm. If you take about, take out disruption, chaos, evil, disorder, um, (laughs) greed. Yeah, that's right. if If all that's in a vacuum, it can work. And it did work at one point.
1: Yep. Market, uh, market booms and busts, uh, different corrections, um, the, uh, what's it, the incompetence of, of some of the financial systems out there that were exposed you know, during the great financial crisis and I believe are being exposed. Now, there are all sorts of different yeah, pieces to that that play into it. And so I, I would say, going back to that idea of the, of the Tower of Babel that I talked about at the beginning, I just want to connect this thought. Um, the, my theory, I guess, right now, my working theory is that the the stock market is, in a sense, kind of like a, a tower of babel in that it uh, it is it is our culture our country's way of disobeying god and pooling resources and consolidating in such a way to become more self-sufficient as opposed to trusting god and when you think about it the stock market is made up of i think you you said this, about th- between 3000 3500 companies basically um, so what about the rest of the businesses out there in, in the world? Well, most people would say, well, that's risky. I mean, it, it, to invest in a company or a business, you know, local or, or someone that you know, as opposed to just putting it in the stock market, well, that's risky, as if the stock market's not risky. <laughs> um, but it, 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 we've, we've been trained in this mindset, this narrative, that exactly what you said just be diligent and disciplined and save money into the stock market where everybody's money is flowing into benefiting a very few elite people and corporations and politicians and businesses, et cetera. And then you will be taken care of and, and eventually be, be officially in in a sense, self-sufficient where God calls us to quite the opposite Um, where we're actually called by God to, to, to multiply, be fruitful and to multiply um, in a sense to, to, to spread that seed that is analogous to money or currency um, it for, to produce value and produce a crop and fruit. And as you've said so eloquently before, you know, fruit, tree, fruit, (laughs) it's kind of the pattern in a sense that then grows exponentially and has that impact in, in our communities but we're we're prevented from that in a sense because we're kind of locked into this one narrative and mindset of where our money should go, which is primarily the stock market. So that that's my working theory. So yeah, and we and we we have to
0: test all these theories. I mean, we've been right. Mike and I have both been thinking about these things and diligently studying for over a decade each. Um so I, you would be hard pressed to convince me otherwise. You would be hard pressed to convince Mike otherwise. It's the reason we do this podcast is because we see I've studied wealth for well over a decade. I don't have a problem with wealth. I have a problem with lack of reinvestment. Mm-hmm. You know, like when yeah. I have a problem with hoarding, I have a problem with the Mike Maloney stat of, you know, 1953 or 73. A laborman made um, you know, X and their boss made 30. 30 X or 10 X, excuse me. And, and now, um, I guess 10 years ago is, is how old the stat is that now it's X and 300 X. Yeah. It's unreal.
1: It is unreal. And
0: despair. And so, and I, you know, again, I'm not a Marxist or, or have any, you know, issues with that, but we are in a place now where because we've become part of the machine and because we just have a crazy lack of education on, the money system. Right. We've decided to stay in the machine, and if you stay long enough, somebody's going to figure out a way to manipulate the machine and get what they need out of it. And so CEOs are sticking around three to five years, not doing a whole bunch of good, taking massive salaries and bonuses. I I say I'm a huge Chevy fan, like mm. huge. I love Chevy. I don't like Ford, and that's okay. Um, <laughs> but I tell you what, I love Ford now because they didn't take a bailout. Mm, yeah. And, and, and all of those companies that looked to the government, you know, to free themselves from their idiocy, like that, yeah. that's offensive to me is, is, you know, when they, they took bonuses instead of producing anything. Mm-hmm. You know, there's yeah. so much, if you, that narrative makes sense. If you just take out human corruption Mm-hmm. And we all know that it exists. we all know that, you know, it may not have caused these things, but it's certainly in there. Yeah. And, and it creates this giant mess. And so when I look at a millennial and sit down with them, you know, over some overpriced coffee, and they're like, hey, I don't understand any of this. I'm like, yeah, you're not meant to. It's, yeah, it's exactly you're right. You're not meant to, you're not meant to understand <laughs> any of this. Like, now they're 25 and they don't have to be financially perfect. So they have some time to learn. I'm, yeah. I just turned 50. I have to be financially perfect. Mm. I can't make any mistakes moving forward. Um, and again, like God will allow me to, but it's at a massive disservice to my family. Like there is consequence that he will let me deal with.
1: Yeah. And the stakes are I've, high for the you. Stakes right are now. very
0: high when you get to that 30, 30, High thirties, forty year old, fifty year old. I mean, good night. You you better start producing some value, yeah. Um, and protect yourself from the stock market instead of watching in the herd. I can you can Mm. usually be safe doing the opposite of what the herd is doing. Yeah, the herd is there to feed. That's what the herd does. And the people that feed the herd are doing it on purpose. Yep. And you you don't want to be sitting at the trough right when they snatch it away. Like that is a that's a bad deal. Yeah, right, and you know, so we need to be in a place where, when the dust settles, and it will, this tower will fall. Yeah, um, that you are there producing value for somebody in the aftermath. Yep. And so, prep and plan and do it now. We can help you with that. The
1: people who are listening can help you with that. Yeah. And so, real quick, PW, what are what would we say? Kind of the seven truths of the narrative for US finance. What what are those? And then and then let's just briefly yeah, so before we finish, go go through some lessons after that. And and we
0: know this is kind of like drinking out of a fire hose. It's it's just information and it may not mean anything. But again, if if you feel moved to do something, like get a hold of us because we can walk you through this. We are yeah we are going to go through this in this mastermind. That's one of the reasons we're having it. Um yep. it, you know get in this round or the next round. It doesn't really matter. But um so the, the the narratives that play into us as people, and we can't mm-hmm. avoid them. They're all part of the world. Global economics, U.S. finance, politics, media slash technology. I don't mean like media as in like news outlets. Um, that's part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, could include social media. Could include social media. It, it, it is the medium by which we communicate is what we mean and the technology that speeds it up. Uh, and then civil rights, mm-hmm. right? So the power struggle, whatever that looks like in, 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 in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so those five narratives, you know, when they are coming together, one, there's always one or two that are really more influential than others at different times. So it's mm-hmm. always good to understand how they work globally. Mm-hmm. You know, if you audit or take some kind of history, you'll start to see all these things in play. We've kind of distilled them down to five, five moving elements now one, the one. US finance, which is our number two, if we, if we take that alone, there's seven things that seem to be true most every time. Mm-hmm. And so they help us navigate the rest. want we want to we wanna make some assurances to ourselves like a good geometry equation. We want to have what the given statements are. so then we can safely navigate the rest of it and, and make a working narrative. So the number one thing is there'll always be an exchange between a buyer and a seller. And that buyer and seller always, they need a market. They don't they don't necessarily have to, right? Facebook marketplace is a good example. Like it, I can post something and somebody could say, hey, I want it and they can come to my house and that the marketplace is now, you know, now my house. That's right. If, you know, if everybody does it, we call that a flea market. We call that the farmer's market, you know, or mm-hmm. the mall or, you know, um, there's always, we can't produce everything in our life. Mm-hmm. So there's always a need to exchange a good or a service for, um, for money, yeah. for currency. Uh, there'll always be an ar- an arbitrage when multiple markets show up, the same product can be sold in different markets. And usually because of how many people are in one or the other, there'll be a price difference. Mm-hmm. So I can buy a product here that's undervalued and I can sell it in the other market and I can take the difference. That's part of, I think that's part of capitalism. That's part of the, the beauty of seeing multiple markets and, and benefiting from it. Mm-hmm. Speculators and market makers will show you if the market is populated. Mm-hmm. So if I'm not a buyer or seller, but I'm a speculator, which means I don't care about the product. What I care about is that I can buy it or sell it. And then I could find, mm-hmm. um, and then I could, if I'm buying it, then I could sell it at a profit. Mm-hmm. And when those folks show up, Um, you will see the market um, change. You'll see Mm -hmm. more volatility. So what they're saying is, hey, there's enough people buying this product that makes it interesting to me. I'm going to go ahead and throw my hat into the game and uh, and put my money in play because I know Mm -hmm. I can make a profit over the amount of buyers and sellers that are showing up. That's not a bad thing either. It helps the market, but it actually produces volatility. Mm-hmm. Like it makes the market move one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, just know that they're there. It's not just about buyers and sellers. You can make a ton of money as a speculator, as a market maker, which is how the stock market works. The fourth thing: some people will always cheat. Not all, but some yeah. people will always cheat. It's just what they do, and that creates some swings and volatility as well. Small time frames take the blame or the or the credit for moves in the market. And, and what we have to, if you really expand your time frame out on a chart, you'll see that it's a lot of times it's just time for people to get their money back. You know, they put it into a system, it works its way around. And they're just like, I just want to have some cash because I want to take on a different opportunity. That starts to make sense when you really zoom out and you, and you see large time frames like one year, three years, five years, and you start to see that, you know, maybe it's time people just want their money back. Mm-hmm. And what happens is the news will tell you um, that it's they'll blame it on this. They'll find somebody to blame it on. And so you become very reactionary. And so rhythms are mm. a really important thing to learn when you're trading, when you're looking at stocks or anything else to make sense of the markets. Let's see. Oh yeah. Number six, people are people. Human nature hasn't changed in 800 years of financial history. Like yep. we, there are producers and then there are speculators there are products and then there's the herd and the speculators will make sure that the herd is fed and you don't want to be, you don't want to be part of the herd. You have to look ahead of the herd. You can go ahead of the herd and sell to the herd. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to be in that place where you're literally just at the trough feeding like everybody else. Cause you're, you're about to get slaughtered. Yep. You, you yep. do nothing except for just take up a space to feed yourself. Um, and that's the, the seventh point is the herd consumes and productivity exists outside of the herd. So those seven things, if you put those in play and, and if people can feedback and, and you might think that some of those things are wrong, but if you if you put those seven things in play and then you start to look at the market and you start to read narratives day after day after day after day, it starts to make sense. You start to able you're able to pull things out and figure out how it applies to you. We have to start stop making moral judgments on marketplaces, just so we can figure out what the heck's going on. As yep. soon as you get in there and you're like, "Oh, this is happening because those people are horrible," those people are horrible. You you don't know any of the motives. Mm. It's if you just distill it all down to, to movements, mm-hmm. and um and and basic roles, and get a sense of how it works. And after that, you can apply it to your own life
1: and figure out um, how you can move yourself forward in it. That's awesome. I, I, that's so helpful. So just to recap real quick, number one, there's always a market. Number two, there's always an arbitrage. Number three, speculators and market makers will help you know if there is a market once they show up. Uh, number four, people will always cheat. Number five, small time frames or bits and pieces of information about time frames take the credit for market moves. Number six, people are people, we haven't changed. <laughs> and number seven, the herd consumes and productivity occurs outside the herd. Yep. Basically the, the seven uh, truths, if you will. So obviously PW, we've gotten through most of, but I think we are going to have to make this two episodes. So in the next episode, we'll talk through some specific lessons that we glean out of all this to, to make it practical for, for, you, uh, for you folks who are listening. Um, it may have felt a little bit more theoretical up to this point. Uh, maybe not. Maybe there's some ways that it's been applicable or that you feel like you've got some ways to apply it, but we'll talk about some lessons that we gleaned from this, from the seven truths, from the idea that the kingdom of God is, all, is the ultimate narrative and it competes against the, the narrative of, of the world and how we can distill that out into actionable steps for each one of us.
0: Friends, thank you for listening in. You have been listening to Blue Collar Money with P.W. Gopal and Mike Hatch. If you would like to reach out to P.W. directly, you can reach him through his website at pwgopal.com or you can reach out to Mike Hatch at empoweredmanhood.com. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming content. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to connecting with you soon.